Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and I'm uh, I'm still all uh, fired up after the conclusion of the uh, Dubai Super Series final. Uh, what a great event that was, as it turned out. Um, congratulations to uh, Mohamed El Sherbagi, who uh, really thrived in that best of three uh, format with his intensity, and he was able to overcome. Uh, Ali Farag and others on his uh, to win the to win the Super Series on the men's side, and uh, Norel Sherbini who couldn't have been more impressive. She went straight through the draw. She had a little, she had a bit of a challenge on her hand with uh, with Camille in the semifinals, uh, and uh, with the unfortunate incident there at the end of the game when uh, when Camille opened the door. Uh, that's an issue for another podcast. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get to talk about that later. But uh, congratulations. Uh, take nothing away from Nora. She played brilliantly throughout the the event and proved uh, why she's uh, number one in the world and got to just about every final, at least the semifinals, uh, throughout the season uh, this year. So it should be an interesting 2018-2019 uh, campaign because they've they've sort of. Uh, uh, given people, given the other players something to uh, to reach for, they're definitely uh, uh, just a slight step ahead of everybody else. So, congrats to both of them. And now uh, today, I'm going to step away from uh, the the PSA side of things and uh, go a little bit closer to home, which uh, my home is uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia. And although I've been away since. Uh, the mid '90s. Uh, uh, it's a big part of me, and uh, that's where I started my squash. Uh, started playing when I was quite young, and made uh, so many great, as we all do, great friends, great uh, mentors, coaches uh, over the years, and played all throughout the region as a result. And uh, Nova Scotia, um, in the region, uh, uh, the maritime region. Which is quite interconnected with the other provinces, so we'll uh, we'll travel quite frequently. At least we used to. I think they still do uh, today. To uh, New Brunswick, Moncton, which has a fantastic uh, new squash facility now, uh, the Moncton Squash Club, I believe it's called. Back when I played, uh, they had the Sneakers uh, Racket Club, uh, and we used to play there at least once a month, either in the jun- junior tournaments or the uh, the senior events as well. Uh, and also uh, in Charlottetown, we used to travel there uh, fairly regularly, maybe once every other month uh, for junior or senior events. And uh, I kind of forget uh, the name of the club, but it used to be in a mall there in uh, Charlottetown. Maybe it was uh, like a Gold's Gym facility or something like that. But uh, uh, and also uh, St. John's uh, Newfoundland, which uh, you know it's a little bit further away, so you can't really drive there you can't leave uh, school or work on a Friday and get there on a Friday uh, well, you'd have to fly so uh, getting to uh, St. John's wasn't uh, as easy as uh, traveling to the other provinces but uh, it ha- it was known for a very deep uh, squash community there as well and I'm hoping to have some uh, of the cast of characters on uh, from uh, Newfoundland to talk about squash Newfoundland on a later episode. We're still trying to assemble the right people there, and hopefully that's going to come through. Uh, but anyways, today uh, on our podcast we have uh, the current uh, men's over forty Canadian national champion. Uh, last year he won the men's over thirty-five national championship uh, for Canada. Uh, he's won the uh, Nova Scotia Provincial Men cha- Men's Championship and has remained at the, in the number one spot uh, pretty much since I left Nova Scotia. Not to say that I was number one, but actually when I left, that was the only month that I ever reached number one. I have it. Uh, uh, I have the clipping from uh, the Squash Canada or Squash Nova Scotia newsletter to prove that. But uh, I had never reached number one until I left. Uh, I think it was that very month. I'm not sure what got me there. But uh, anyways, at that time, um, uh, Matt uh, Bishop, who's on today's podcast, was maybe number three in the province. And I think shortly after uh, I left and uh, another top player from Nova Scotia, Keith Boyle, when he left, uh, that opened the door for Matt, and he hasn't looked back. He's been number one since then, uh, since probably 1996, 97, 
and uh, with the exception of uh, maybe two or three uh, provincial championships uh, where he had some stiff competition from uh, Chris Hanaberry, uh, who was the pro at the squash uh, club at the at squash Moncton, the Moncton Squash Club. Uh, I believe he's won every provincial championship and has remained at the top position uh, in Nova Scotia since then. An incredible feat and a testament to the talent of uh, Matt, who has. I think, yeah, without question, became the first uh, male uh, to ever achieve anything at, uh, at a number one position nationally from Nova Scotia. Uh, I think it started, may have started back when he was in juniors. Uh, he won uh, a version of the Canadian Junior uh, Championship in Montreal. Maybe it was the Eastern Canadian Junior Championship. And uh, I think from then he started having very, very... Uh, uh, respectable results nationally, getting in, well into the draws, and then uh, more recently winning, of course, the over 35s and the over 40s. The last person, I think, to win in uh, over 35 was the also the last person to sort of uh, dominate in Nova Scotia, uh, a fellow by the name of David Bevan, who was the top player in the men's uh, division when I was when I broke into the open division back in uh, 85 86 as a as a junior he dominated the uh, the men's division for maybe four or five years before he left uh, for Ontario but uh, Matthew uh, is uh, Matthew's domination of the uh, of squash in Nova Scotia is unparalleled he's uh, been at the top of the game he has, uh, if you just watch him play, he has all the talent in the world. He's been coached by uh, uh, David Hubley uh, over the years, and you can see uh, in his uh, just his overall basic game, the fundamentals are very strong. And we go into talking about his relationship and uh, the impact that David had on his game, and uh, as well as his parents. Uh, Harvey and Liz, who uh, who are both uh, very good squash players in their own rights, um, and also uh, with the arrival of Neil Harvey, uh, uh, maybe ten years ago or so, uh, the impact that Neil's had on his game uh, over the years, and uh, uh, we get to talking about that as well. So today on the podcast, uh, Matt Bishop, a little bit of uh, Nova Scotia flavor on uh, today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. All right, uh, today on the In Squash uh, podcast, I'm going to go back to uh, my Nova Scotia roots a bit. And uh, we've got on, um, without question, the greatest player in uh, squash Nova Scotia history, the winner of uh, the men's Nova Scotia Men's Open champion. I don't know how many times we'll find out today, at least 15. Uh, Canadian uh, 2017 Men's Over 35 champion and the recently crowned 2018 Men's Over 40 champion. Matt Bishop is our guest. Matt, uh, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Great to uh, have you on. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Yeah. Um, well, Matt, it's been uh, been a few weeks now uh, since you won the over 40s at the Canadian Nationals in uh, what I, I felt was a pretty strong draw, very strong draw. You had the guys like uh, Ramsden Wood, Power, Forrester. Uh, now that the dust uh, has settled a bit, has it sunk in? that you're a two-time, uh, two years in a row, actually, Canadian national champion? No, it hasn't sunk in. No, I, I, I think um, I'm very excited about it, um, but it hasn't sunk in in the sense that I think of anything any differently than before. Um, I, I, my focus has changed a lot as I've entered this sort of master's um, area of, of squash that, I sort of look at it as just like part of this process and having fun on the court and sort of the results take care of themselves. I think as a junior, um, a lot of us are guilty of this. And I was definitely one of them that uh, was very focused on the outcome. So I got on court or looked at a tournament draw and was always wondering how far I could make it, um, which added all kinds of undue pressure to sort of perform and, and always thinking about winning, which of course you've got to go through all those cliches that you hear the professionals say of playing point by point. Um, and you end up burning a lot of energy doing that. So mm -hmm. I've really shifted and maybe I'm just trying to fake it to make it, but 
but uh, just sort of saying, look, it's just day by day, minute by minute, point by point. And that sort of uh, philosophy has aided not just in the squash, but just in life generally. Um, so to say it sunk in, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it, it did right after it was kind of like surreal and it, it sort of feels good, but uh, I'm actually missing now the process of being out on court. I really haven't done anything since, uh, since playing the finals. Uh, just got back on court yesterday and hit the ball for a little bit and was feeling pretty sore walking up the stairs to my office this morning. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's sort of, now I'm sort of missing the, uh, that process, just the, the going through the, the event uh, or going through the, the training part of it rather than the results. And yeah, it's, it's, Somebody, you know, not to keep jabbering on about the same topic, but somebody said something to me about seven, eight years ago, I came back from a tournament and here I am already then a ma sort of master's player. So, you know, the, the, the dreams of doing anything more than, than, uh, than amateur squash has, has sort of shifted in other perspectives in life. And I came back from a tournament and said how, um, you know, he asked me how the weekend was on a Monday morning and I said, oh, is it? It was okay. I'm really tired. I'm really sore. And I was away playing a squash room. And, you know, I, I was just focused on all these negative things. And he said, uh, it cut me off sort of halfway through this little spiel about uh, how tough the weekend was. And he said, oh, I thought it was supposed to be fun. And, uh, again, that was another sort of uh, yeah. philosophy that sort of really bought into that anytime things are getting a bit harder or anything like that or tough matches in those eight all in the fourth or fifth games or even in the first game for that matter um just to remind yourself that yeah you're we're signed up for this for fun <laughs> this is not a living do you find that uh that's the case for most of those guys like ramsden woodpower um borland trevor i think trevor was actually yeah. in the draw as well is that the same sort of mindset that most of you guys have it's like you're yeah, up here, you're having fun yeah, I think there's a wonderful camaraderie um, and and just respect. And I think this is just part of maturity, right? Of, of uh, And I think it's also a shift that's happening across sports. We're seeing this at the professional level, too. A lot more smiles on court. There's a, a certain strong intensity, but we're seeing this more and more. Like, uh, I could say that in golf, for sure. Like, those top players are all sort of grinning and smiling and, and sometimes waiting around until they're... Uh, their competitors are done uh, once they win a tournament. Um, we're seeing it on the pro squash circuit uh, specifically too, where yeah. you're seeing a real sense of respect. And I think that's a shift from sports from, you know, the previous generation where there was almost like, uh, you know, so combative and so like not wanting to share, you know, a secret sauce or something and almost not liking each other. It seemed like, but uh, while there is different personalities, I think there's this common respect and that may be transcending now into sort of all sorts of levels, even at the, the master's level. So, yeah, um, yeah, there was quite a nice, uh, nice respect and camaraderie out on court. Just sort of, I think, thankful to be out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, I, I hope I can make it uh, uh, next year to play in the over 50s, uh, Matt. So uh, I'll, wow. I'll be, that'll, be, that'll be my first year uh, in that age group. Oh yeah, you would uh, you'd thoroughly enjoy it. I, I've tried to encourage a, a number of people back here to consider it. Um, people you know as well that are just phenomenal athletes. That it wouldn't take them very long to get back out there. I, that's that's one of the things, especially actually once you get even maybe in the gap above my over forty to four over forty five, it really becomes a question of who can move to the front and back of the court. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. 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 Having uh, having good shots is is only so helpful, but being able to move becomes. I mean, that's always a a real vital aspect of squash, but um, it, it becomes even more evident um, in these later ages. Yeah, well, let's let's just take uh, just a little, just not to belabor the, your your recent win, but it, it was a great win. Um, you. Uh, you had a semifinal match that went to, to five games that must have taken quite a bit out of you. And then somehow uh, overnight you recovered because you came back from one, two down against uh, Ian Power, uh, Jonathan's younger brother, uh, to win the title. Um, at one, two down uh, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the final, what was going through your mind? And uh, uh, sort of did, did you know you had enough in the, in the tank uh, to go the five games to win it? I think a lot of people, if they're being honest with themselves, when you're actually in those moments, as, as present as you're trying to be, the adrenaline's pumping so hard, your heart rate's obviously going high. Um, it's difficult to then flash back and say what you were really thinking. Um, I, I do remember, and that's why I chuckled a little bit when you asked what I felt like after one, two down is um, 
my sister Leah, who who won the over thirty uh, over thirty women's. Yeah, division. congrats to to your sister. Oh, yeah. That that's huge. Yeah, it was yeah. huge. And, and the point of dropping that in there was actually she was already done and had won and was you know coaching me in between games. And um, while I had spoke to Neil Harvey. Um, prior to each match, actually. And, and we kind of come up with a, devise a little strategy, maybe a plan A, plan B, plan C, sort of just as a way to stay focused. Um, you know, of course, you can get in and out of that, especially playing against somebody as streetwise and uh, as, as an Ian Power. So down one, two, I came off and was quite frustrated, which is one of the areas that I've tried to improve on the most because it would have been a bit of a weakness previously of being a bit overly emotional. Um, so was trying to remain calm. But after that third game being down to one, I, I felt some frustrations. And I think those were stemming from partially ego because he was moving me around and, and dictating everything. Whereas I felt that I was maybe the the fitter player that should drag out the rallies and just wasn't able to do that. So um, I, I remember she had been giving me advice in between game one and two, and I came off after game three and, and sort of was frustrated and sort of, I think I did all the talking in between, <laughs> yeah. you know, and kind of maybe with some expletives in there of like, what am I doing sort of attitude, but it was enough of an event and she did a really good job of sort of just staring me in the eyes. I recall this part and just saying, you know, you look totally fine. Um, and, and of course, I don't know if Ian really wasn't looking as fine, but of course that's a good thing to tell you yeah. to improve my confidence and says, you know, you're, you're looking great out there. Um, you know, if that's what you think you should do, then go do it. Um, and, and that was enough to sort of, I don't know, just agree with me and, and then yeah. get out and get on with it. We actually had a really close fourth game. It, it was 11-8. Um, yeah. And I sort of knew in that moment, like I think we had a like six all, seven all, kind of one of those games where it could go either way that I was using that sort of strategy of, of trying to smile. And it is fake it, deep down probably because I am feeling some, some hurt, but it really works to help relax you in those moments to just say, look, this is, this is what you do some of the training for. And this is what you sign up for is this moment like this to be playing against a, an iconic family name for sure. And, and Ian certainly isn't putting in the time of the squash as he once did. Um, so yeah, like these are the moments you're hoping for. So I, I really tried to relish it and be in that present moment to kind of come back. But um, I certainly was, frustrated i remember after that third game <laughs> yeah. feeling like what do i have to do here um ian's very very good at reading the situation and has well just, he's an experience i mean he's been there he's played you know on the psa tour for a few yeah. years so he knows exactly i mean the reality is he's probably if we've played 10 to 12 times i mean i, I you know i think i've nipped a game here or there off him typically when he's probably been injured um but really i've never <laughs> been that close to him so that's the first uh, time you've beaten him Yes. Oh, yeah. great. Oh, well. Yeah. So, I mean, he had that mental advantage, and he does know how to kind of create his space. In a, in a you know, it, it's right on the edge. He does it in such a, like, it's, it's like professional squash. He really knows how to create that and, and create his opportunities. And um, I, I kind of had to play a lot of master squash, um, which I call the lob and drop game. I don't call it that. That's, you know, what Neil's ended up training me to be able to do and that that's made all the difference rather than try to match his hand skills i'm just not gonna be able to do that so it requires you know lobbing yourself out of trouble lobbing um, get, just giving yourself more time to to recover basically exactly. yeah, yeah. So, well no, very lucky to win that fourth and yeah well um i was just i wanted to look at uh, 2017 as well because i i looked at the draw there and I noticed, um, I mean, uh, this may have been a surprise, even more of a surprise win for you being in your last year of over 35 uh, that mm -hmm. year. I'm guessing uh, when you looked at the draw, uh, you knew that getting to the final might've given you the chance to uh, exact a bit of revenge on a nemesis of yours. I think it was Chris Hanaberry. Uh, was yeah. that the way you, you saw it? And uh, yeah. how did you feel to get that win over the over 35? Yeah, that was a pretty, you know, fantastic week in Toronto um, the year before, or last year, rather. Uh, yeah, I, I would never – Chris is a, just a wonderful gentleman and great hands um, and speed, and so I, I'd never call him a nemesis. I'd probably actually put him on a minor pedestal, and that that can make you make it a challenge to actually then try and beat them. Um, yeah. Again, I credit to Neil Harvey with the um, the tactics for that match, which were – 
you know, he's a, he's a quicker player than you and he's probably got better shots than you, which was always, you know, funny when your coach tells you that basically the player you're playing is, is maybe better than you. So you're going to have to beat him with tactics. And <laughs> yeah. He described it as like almost the English squash versus Egyptian squash and, and right. crispy for that Egyptian style of very, very good hands and a good speed that I was going to have to really lengthen out the rest straighten up the ball a lot and hit it high which it feels very counterintuitive even the way you and I grew up playing squash we like to sort of throw in the flashy Nick um, officer or, or in the middle of a rally and that really exactly yeah great master shot <laughs> um, but, but that sort of that style, of course, isn't going to win you the marathon. It might win you a rally, especially against a guy as good as him. So um, I think I sort of surprised Chris. And I, he and I have shared a beer after the match about it. And he, he, he joked, he said he just wasn't anticipating that in the past. We had played only probably five times before that. But each time, he'd sort of just dragged me out and beat me 3-1 almost every time. And it's usually, again, I tired myself out trying to overhit it or going for outright flashy winners instead of just sort of dragging out the proceedings with some really long rallies and then frustrating them where he felt he had to take it in short. Do you think, um, um, do you think uh, this, I'm, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but do you think maybe being away from, from the hometown crowd or the being away from home soil maybe took a bit of pressure off of you uh, in that way? Yeah, um, I, I actually know only because, you know, what has changed in the last two years, if there was like things you could pinpoint for um, getting that extra 5% to close these wins out is actually in Toronto, I stay with my sister, um, my youngest sister, um, and then Leah, actually, my other sister came up to play in that nationals as well. And because it was Toronto, both my parents came up. So if anything, I actually had some other undue um pressures around because of course uh, the people you want to impress probably the most are your immediate family so they were all there to watch that the whole week so yeah. we were probably living talking breathing squash but again coming back to that perspective about what's important in life it gave a great distraction away from you know just playing the squash and the reality of knowing that win or lose like these people are still gonna love you <laughs> um, <laughs> but having them there IUNS actually now is additional motivation and um, it, it's only pressure if he accepts it as pressure. <laughs> um, it's just, a, it's like a wonderful blessing to be able to have them there in the past when I've played squash and still playing tournaments around Canada where you don't have that support there, it actually can be a, a bit more of a lost feeling. Um, so yeah, again, I, I've actually the opposite. I, I'm, I'm now enjoying pulling that all, putting all that weight on there. Um, Again, another Neil Harvey uh, snippet was, you know, a way to try and dig a little deeper to find a little extra mental strength to push through those um, times of, of discomfort in a match are to get out of your own way and start thinking about, look, you're representing your family, you're representing your province, because he said that's what they would do again, representing England. In his case, um, we would use that as representing your teammates and while that can be viewed as extra pressure if you spin it that way it can actually be viewed as a great way to give you that little adrenaline hit or that extra little push which again has made a it, it's made a big difference I think in, in actually being able to um, solidify because I think there's been plenty of people I appreciated your you know very complimentary comments of being but I think there's been plenty of players from here that have actually been just as good that maybe just didn't have that little extra five percent um, yeah to sort of close those things out, you know, um, that little bit extra. Yeah. And those, those are, yeah, that's, been uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, that, that's great advice uh, from Neil and something that maybe uh, now that you've revealed it is something that maybe other people uh, listening yeah. to this might be able to, uh, I mean, to mentally that, incorporate. Absolutely. That week in Toronto, there was another coach there who's Canadian known. I think he's coaching the men's, he might be the national coach for both. I, I know for the men's for sure, Yvonne Provencal, yeah, he's yeah. worked in Montreal for a long time. And I happened to just pass by him at the Mayfair Club. And um, I was doing what I would traditionally do. And I think, again, this could speak to a bunch of other listeners, too, that, you know, lacking some doubt or, or trying to be overly humble during the week of a tournament saying, oh, you know, who do you got next? And going, oh, well, you know, I'm playing so-and-so and kind of, again, putting them up on a pedestal and he sort of looked at me with uh you know total confidence um which i probably needed and i thanked him since um and he said y you know you're a really good player right and you know you sort of you know uh <laughs> are bashful about that and you sometimes need that little 
bit. I think it can go overboard too, but you know, that was very helpful during the week, especially during a tournament. Cause I think all players, you know, question like their ability that week um, and want to perform at their very best. So they do put that pressure on themselves. So hearing that from somebody who's a good coach and somebody you respect something as simple as being reminded of that um, shows how fickle <laughs> confidence can be. And it, it was very, yeah. it was very helpful, very helpful. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, I just want to look uh, back a little bit, uh, but before I do, um, you've been a Nova Scotia Provincial Champion, as I said uh, earlier, I'm not sure how many times, but I'm, I'm guessing it's about uh, 15. Now, before I'm you, counting. there were... Yeah, I'm not counting. Sorry? Okay, yeah. I'm not counting. Right. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, don't count anymore. Um, but mm -hmm. I'd say it's at least 15. But before you... Uh, there was really no one who dominated uh, the game. I'd say the last person who did was a, a fellow by the name of David Bevan, who may have won like four or five provincial championships over right. six years. Um, right. Now, uh, now, that, now, are you? Is the plan to just continue on as long as you can keep it going? And and uh, if so, what motivates you uh, provincially to keep playing uh, at this level? And uh, how much longer do you see the? The, the titles uh, racking up? It's a good question. I, I, you don't know. I mean, again, some of those results um, are, are just a function of timing, right? Like, you know, we live in a relatively small place here in Halifax. So depending on the development we have and developing, uh, depending on some of the students that move here, because that's sort of what's influenced maybe some of the quality of play around here lately is we've had a few you know, students move in who are younger, um, who are decent players, and, and they improve their game too. So some of that's just a function of who's here and who's playing versus, you know, people like yourself who then move away maybe that would have uh, challenged for some of those titles. But, um, you know, you can only play the people that are put in front of you. I really, again, whenever that mental shift happened for me, which I, I think was, you know, around my late 20s was that shift from, again, you know, we really do want to rack up titles. I think anyone's lying if they don't enjoy the, 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 the smell of victory and that kind of thing. But if you really do it out of passion and a love of the game, these things kind of take care of themselves. And I, I feel grateful to have learned that at a young enough age that I'm sort of just enjoying it. And I'm just going to keep playing as long as I can play it. And it'll be interesting to see. I do joke about when I and sort of dethroned more. I mean, I have lost. There was a, you know, I'll give him credit. He, uh, there was a kid from here originally, but moved out to BC who came home for the first term of the year. Sort of a surprise visit. I didn't know he was coming and didn't uh, train all through the summer or anything. And, we, and so that's my excuse for losing very badly <laughs> to him. He beat me through love. Okay. Um, yeah, when What's he his, came back. What was his so name, I, Matt? Morgan Latrimo. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Really, from a really nice family. They lived here until I think he was maybe... Uh, I, I'm not positive. I, I'll say 12 years old, maybe. Maybe he was a little bit older than that. Um, okay. But yeah, then you know, played out in BC, you know, much like uh, the Yick family who were in Newfoundland right. that and played a lot of Nova Scotia and then moved out to BC. And well, he became, you know, top three or four Canadian junior. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can, but it'll be interesting to face that sort of feeling of like if somebody else starts beating me more consistently from here to see how I respond to that. Um, will my ego or will I push harder? I, I'm still working at it. So, and I enjoy the working yeah. at it. So that's the thing that's probably shifted even from my early twenties is I, I just kind of showed up to play and focused on trying to win. Whereas now I, I do some of the things and I know we've discussed this when you've been home uh, visiting here, you know, it's the off-court stuff now that um, is part and parcel of the playing. So, um, you know, Neil Harvey's had a tremendous impact on the on-court stuff, but I actually do do some off-court um, interval running leading up to tournaments, and that's made a massive difference. I, I, I actually watch what I'm eating, um, rest. So there's now you're encompassing almost, you know, taking the professional approach to amateur squash. And yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of that credit's due to having hosted here in Halifax. The uh, we hosted for ten years a, a professional PSA tournament that ranged in levels from a six thousand dollar event all the way up to fifty thousand dollar event. So we had four, you know, we had world champions coming through Halifax as well as um, people that were uh, trying to make it on tour, and and that really opened my eyes up to you know what it takes, oh, you yeah. know. 
play at a professional well, level. If you had the opportunity to pick the brain of a guy like uh, David Palmer or Amr Shaban or just sort of get to see what they, uh, what they can do. Yeah. And what's, what can be interesting about that is if we're just at an amateur level touching the iceberg of what they're doing, then you're, you're going to improve immensely. So I, I'm, I'm probably way fitter now than I was when I was in my early 20s. Um, yeah, don't, certainly. Don't tell me that. Yeah, well, I'm coming. I'm, I'll be back in a few weeks. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it can shift quickly downhill uh, when you don't do anything for a few weeks. But yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Matt, I just want to look back because I know uh, I know your family quite well, and I know your parents yes. very well. Uh, your mm. parents both really enjoyed their squash. Uh, yes. The dad, um, Harvey, was one of he actually as as I, when I was a junior, he was one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, you might know why he had great uh, he had a great flair for the game and and uh, incredible mm-hmm. tenacity uh, when he played. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about about your dad's game and uh, uh, what influence did he have on your game? Right, I, I think the one you just highlighted more than anything. I can remember, you know, I don't remember the days of watching him play so much of the players like yourself as a junior, but I do recall him playing sort of those over 40 categories. So when I was becoming a team and at that time, what I would have picked up more than anything was certainly the tenacity, but it was the heart. It was that will to win and that never say die, never say quit. Um, whether you were completely insane about thinking that way or not, it at least um, was by far the, the, the biggest lesson I took away from that, that, you know, regardless of what happens out there, make sure you leave it all on the court. So I continue to, operate that, that way and almost everything I do but especially out on the squash court um, which you know when you do start playing in the master's divisions that can be um, that can be pretty demoralizing to your opponent when you look over <laughs> at it and he's like still fist pumping and, and not wanting to give up uh, yeah yeah at all. No, I, have, I have a great anecdote I want to share uh, I, I forget how old I was I might have been 16 or 17 and I was playing uh, some tournament against uh, ended up having to play your dad really really respected him and uh, he sort of guided me in many different ways back then and uh, it was in between games I think it might have been two all and he looked kind of gassed but he kept on you know pumping and outside the court he (laughs) he made himself uh, get puke Oh no! <laughs> then, he, then he went back on, in the fifth game and kicked my ass. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Like, Let's go! That's a, <laughs> so I'll never yeah, forget that. And that's then, kind you of know. intimidating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, uh, I think I've actually heard that story over Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah, your dad had a, had a great influence on your game, and uh, you know, incredible. Uh, he was still very supportive. I mean. To be honest, as I said before, like um, my, you know, they both came up to Toronto last year and my mom. um, Your your mom was a good ladies player, I remember back in the day. Yes, very much. And she was actually, she was out in Calgary with me too. So that was, uh, there was another connection to be out in Calgary this past year for the Nationals was my aunt and uncle lived there. So she was able to visit her sister. Okay. So that, you know, creates a wonderful environment to perform well during the squash um, I can really appreciate now when you hear athletes um, mainly you're going to hear it professionally but when they say you know they're very comfortable because they feel at home that's the kind of environment you want to create and the last two years I've had that you know staying with my youngest sister in Toronto at her family home with both my parents there and my other sister there and my niece and then being out in Calgary with my aunt and uncle staying in their family home my mom there my actually Leah brought out her daughter, so my niece was there too. So we kind of had a really nice sort of big step away from the squash courts um, after each match um, or even before each match to really, you know, be talking and dealing with the important things. So yeah. that, that's really, really nice. So, Well, uh, well look create. at who uh, – look at the men's and women's uh, open winners this year. Yeah. Both yeah. from Calgary. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And that's, yeah, there's, you're right. Exactly. I think even that has something to do with um, that altitude out there. Um, Playing at altitude is definitely um, a big adjustment. Um, So that would give them a lot. Pretty strong, uh, uh, very, very fit people. Yeah. Exactly. Daniel Letourneau, is that who won the female side? Yeah. 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 I watched the match. She was all, she was 
all over the place just yeah. brilliantly. Yeah. 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 I think that gives you lots of confidence because you do feel that layer of minor uncomfortableness if you're not used to it at altitude. Um, it's probably much like being in Dubai where you are and getting used to the heat. You know, if you're not used to it, it, it's, you know, it can play on your mental game. And that's what I think the altitude can do to some of the other players, even professional players. Um, so if you've grown up and trained in it, you just have that little extra bit of confidence, which can be a difference maker. And of course, yeah. a home crowd is never hurts. You've seen how much I sweat, Matt. Uh, you, today, holy lord! Uh, the, the the, the court was um, the courts are air conditioned, but outside the court today, I played, and I was just I couldn't stop sweating. Yeah. But um, any, anyways, I <laughs> um, yeah. and I also wanted to ask you about uh, probably the guy, uh, the coach who had maybe the the most influence on you especially as a junior, obviously, mm-hmm. David, uh, David Hubler. Yeah. He, he produced uh, quite mm-hmm. a few uh, juniors over the years from your generation. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't much of a student of the, the game back then, so I missed that opportunity to work a lot with him. But mm-hmm. um, you, you're one of, I guess, maybe his best student over the years. David's ability as a coach uh, to top juniors uh, back then is unquestionable. Um, what was his impact on your yeah. game, though, in – in particular well he had a passion for the the learning of it um his background being a teacher he also had the patience to deal with teenagers which you know you're going through more than just trying to play squash at that age you're going through trying to grow up so you know he had to deal with uh well especially my personality which was i'd work hard in practice um when the practice was coordinated i probably didn't do enough outside of that um but he was uh, like unwavering in the amount of time he would volunteer to, because um, that's really what it was. He, he was always uh, just putting up his hand to be there to try and make us better, um, whatever that required. So, um, you know, that, that, uh, that commitment was obviously what he, uh, what he helped me with. Um, and, and to stay patient through those kind of a um, bit of emotional roller coasters that you, that you go through. Um, and like I said, cause I was focused probably too much on outcome back then. Um, he, he sort of would try and help manage that. And I, I think neither of us maybe had enough sort of experience to know actually how to, how to work on that. Um, yeah. we were, we were focused a lot back then, I think on, on technical aspects of, uh, of, of ways to, to win and, and ways to improve. But well, that's um, what uh, I, when I asked Neil Harvey on the podcast, you might've heard it about uh, David and, and uh, he, ba- he basically said that he did a tremendous job in particular uh, concerning uh, the fundamentals of the game. And yeah. really uh, yeah. uh, he did well with you in, in that regard. He got us everywhere too. I mean, we got exposed to playing in all kinds of places across the country, which doesn't happen without a coach chaperone willing to make that happen. So he created all kinds of different drills for us. He did create a bit of a, he created my own passion to continue with the game. I think more than anything, Um, some of my best friends came from that stuff. I think he also created a great environment where, although you were probably the generation right after that, um, he, he allowed me to be on court with the kids at that time that that were four or five years older than me. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, You know, I was on court with the Matthew Easingwoods and the Matthew Hollands who were four or five years older than me. So when they're 18 and I'm 13, 14, it's a great opportunity because they were bigger, faster, stronger than me and could beat me easily. But you know, he knew I was competitive and that, that sort of forced my game to, to improve quicker or want to improve quicker because I was uh, on court with them. So, no, Dave actually came out. Um, we had an impromptu uh, little um, gathering a couple of weeks ago after the, the national win in Calgary, and uh, it was great. I haven't seen him much. He hasn't been doing as much squash. He's really gotten into cycling. Okay. Um, he's in great shape. No doubt. And yeah. he, he uh, always was uh, one of the fitter guys yeah. in, in the men's division. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, we had a great sort of um, reminiscing of, uh, of those junior days. And I think he was learning a lot of his coaching through all of us. And there was, there was an amazing crop of juniors. I mean, that's what he created. He created a, a little squad here that we, we really haven't with respect to all the other kids, we haven't been able to replicate the same depth. Now, some yeah. of that again is just, 
the the demographics. It really has nothing to do with anyone in you know one individual or organization. It just we were very fortunate, and I was very fortunate to come through that period with you know great depth on the men's side and women's side. We had all kinds of really good players, um, which created a great environment. So now D- Dave also taught a lot of those things, those qualities my dad um, possesses, which is, you know, that, that will to win, you know, and I'm sure if yeah. you played Dave, you know, I remember playing, I, I, when yeah. I moved into the A division as a junior, mm-hmm. I remember having to play him a few times and it was like, mm-hmm. Jesus, <laughs> this guy means yeah. business, you know? <laughs> I well, I, it's funny how you remember certain things. And again, somebody who's maybe uh, trying to be an achiever like myself, you remember negative things. So I remember this one negative story playing a tournament up in uh, Ottawa, I believe it was, or Toronto. And I played Victor Berg, who was a very successful Canadian oh, yeah. player. And um, Dave was there ready to coach. And this was one of those matches where, yes, Victor was the more experienced, better player than me, but I was kind of knocking on the door, you know, and um I got out there and I, I don't think I won more than three or four points the entire match. Like I just got creamed and Dave looked at me as we were at the airport ready to fly home. And he just told me the truth. He said, well, at least you look good out there. Cause I just showed nothing. Oh, like uh, <laughs> and yeah. again, sometimes those comments at the yeah. right time from a coach can really work on you. So it, it was, I had nothing, there was nothing there except, you know, a nice outfit rather than real showing any level of heart. Uh, well, one of um, yeah, one of the best know, just, uh, one of the best anecdotes that I've heard so far, uh, aside from that one, that, that's great. Was uh, Lauren, Lauren's Angema's uh, anecdote? You may have heard this one, where he, um, I guess he had just moved to England to train with Neil, and he'd yeah. been there for four or five months, and his game wasn't improving, and he was tired, and he was having to walk from wherever he was living to the courts, and so he went to uh, to Neil, and he said, uh, Neil, you know. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not feeling so good now. I'm, I'm feeling a bit tired. Um, I'm not sure what should I do. And then he, uh, uh, Neil said, uh, "Grow up." <laughs> and then then he he went back. Uh, I guess he wiped. Kind of. He was a bit emotional. Sure. Looked at himself yeah. in the mirror, and then went out. And, and uh, the rest is history. Lawrence had a tremendous career. I think the people that we end up respecting the most are the people that can tell you the truth at the times you need it most. You know, it's a hard thing for people to do at times, um, but you sometimes need that. Sometimes you do need a shoulder to cry on for a period of time, but sometimes you do need the kick in the butt to get you moving. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, uh, obviously Neil's had a a tremendous impact uh, on your game over uh, since he arrived in, along with several other elite players in the region. Um, so when, yeah, when did you yeah. first start working with Neil and uh, what is it about Neil that obviously uh, has a, uh, influenced so many great players over the years, do you think? Right. Um, that, it's probably a podcast in itself, really, on what he's yeah. done. Um, but for me specifically... Well, in terms of you, yeah. Yeah, in terms of me, like when we when he moved here, he moved here to come over with a charity from Poland, I believe. And after about a year or so, he... He got connected up um, through jigs and reels, really, of, of back into the squash scene. And I think it had to do with our Blue Nose tournament. And somebody like LJ, who he had coached, was playing in that tournament. And um, I was uh, around the Blue Nose helping out. And next thing you know, we knew each other. And I was doing some emceeing that week. And I had actually no idea who Neil Harvey was. I wasn't that in tune with the world squash scene um, at the professional level. I'd heard of a Peter Nickel and a, and a Jonathan Power, but I, I hadn't, I didn't know who their coach or coaches were. And um, I decided to Google Neil um, before one evening because Neil said, well, look, why don't you introduce me to the squash community here in Halifax? And once I Googled him, well, I was pretty <laughs> nervous then having to introduce him. I was like, holy cow, this person's like, you know, this is a, this is a living legend. And yeah. so when I introduced him, I into the community as somebody who would be comparable to some other great coaches in other sports um, to give people some, um, yeah, some reference point um, because squash isn't all that well known. And probably we just kind of hit it off that week. Uh, and he said, why don't we go out on court next week? And I was about, the timing was ideal. I, that was 2008 and I was turning 30 that year. And I kind of had a bit of a resurgence thinking that I could start attending some nationals again because I could enter my own age category and um, 
so he kind of took me under his wing as he was jumping back on court and put me through some uh, through some sessions which were very very difficult um i probably did feel a lot like lj but fortunately i wasn't doing this for a living so i could kind of walk away for weeks at a time um <laughs> but yeah. a lot of his, his theories were were difficult to accept you know as a stubborn person i i had a hard time you know listening and accepting all of it and probably did take as you do when you're learning a new skill after 20 years of playing you know to then learn something completely new took a while to get it but um, of course, I was really keen to get it, and Neil was really, uh, as Dave Hubley was, really unwavered as far as his commitment goes. I mean, he gave me everything I needed and was available all the time. Um, you know, what I think he does that's different or what really adds that, again, I come back to that additional 5%, and it's probably more than 5%, is he's not just all in on the court. And Dave Hubley had a lot of this qualities, too, because I can remember Dave driving me home from coaching sessions and it's it's kind of the off-court time that they're willing to spend with you and they strategically set up and and Neil's um, office as he would call it was um, a little pub now for us here in Halifax the Henry House Um, (laughs) yeah and he called that his office because he would often and he did this a lot with me especially in those early days that we were working together bring me down there and and you know he'd often have a pint I might have one but may just drink a water and we kind of just talk and that was his way to sort of find out his player. Yeah. And I think he did this with every level. That was what so. Yeah. He, he mentioned, uh, or Lawrence mentioned that he used to do that like after the training sessions and they'd all yeah. go out and have a, he a was, drink. He was yeah. very genius at this because I started to learn that we would have these after sessions, we'll call it. And, you might realize by the end of it, we never asked one question about him. He was so focused on me (laughs) and uh, he might've been going through a whole bunch of stuff, but he would find everything going on that was making that player tick. Um, And then he would use that in the squash session. So, you know, I've nicknamed him a little bit like uh, the Mr. Miyagi from the karate kid because his methods, while a little bit different, and maybe not totally accepted all the time, especially in the modern game now, um, will imperatively get you to any level you want to get to. The old style still will work, and I think yeah. it works big time. Um, so that was the, you know, a, a little bit about what he did for me and what he sort of I think does with all ranks of players. And I watch him do this with any level of player, like from the you know, the, the world-class player of an LJ to Peter Nickel to, to you know, even the rank amateur below my grade that's just sort of starting out. He's able to uncover the truth um, in that person and get that out of them on the squash court. I think by building that trust, and I'm just thinking as I'm talking about it, he builds that trust with you that you're then willing to give him everything on the court because he, you're then not afraid to show any of your vulnerability. There's Absolutely, no hold back. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so uh, ego's involved. He wants to take the ego, ego out of the, the player. Yeah. yeah it's very powerful. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean uh, a session with Neil as well. I think he was renowned for this globally. You know, it's going to be hard work. He came through as a player of the generation where they may be guilty of overtraining. Um, <laughs> Jonah Barrington yeah. and uh, murder yeah. on the squash court. <laughs> yeah, doing four hundreds until you throw up, kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, running miles and then doing three hour sessions. So, you know, not that any of us amateurs are doing any of this, but. Um, a squash session with him. I think that's why people sign up for it. You're a little nervous going into it because you know, you better have rested a bit and he's going to ask a lot of you. Um, Mm. And traditionally, I think with the professional squad, he did this like for every minute you were late, it was 10 court sprints. So I think he's got a bunch of stories of some guys that literally had to run like a thousand court sprints. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did he he he, apply that to you as well, Matt? I think he softened up immensely and I'm aware of it, but I think he initially added some difficult times in order to test. And once he knows that you can sort of respond to the test, he will still imply it when he thinks it's required. And that's where his gift is, is understanding that today's a day where I should push the person and today's a day I will let off pushing them. And he's able to identify that 
like on at least in my personality, which you know I've heard him say before, there's a thousand Matt bishops or more around the world. So you know, and it's that's not to discredit me. It's just to realize that you know the the world doesn't revolve around that one person. Like so, he's seen it before, um, yeah. and he's been yeah, he's just very gifted at doing that. So yeah, there was you know we still do sessions where you know if I'm working with another player. And we've maybe made a few unforced errors off a of both drive drill. Um, you can uh, you can hear him speak up, and he speaks in a very authoritative tone, which again gets the players responding. Um, that you know the next ten, every ten is ten court sprints, and it, it's awesome. sort of just yeah, expected. That, yeah. And it works. This this strategy works. Like all of a sudden, we don't hit the ten anymore. We're <laughs> um, more focused, more disciplined. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, Matt, uh, it's great to uh, to look back and uh, great to 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 talk to you about your squash. But I've got uh, one last question for you. Okay. Uh, are, sure. uh, are are Matt uh, Holland and Sam Baller ready uh, for a beatdown in, in a few weeks? Oh my, that is a tough question. They're they're always ready for anything, and yeah. uh, if it involves talking about it, they're they're all there. Um, you know, whether they can bring anything is another question, but as far as the talking goes, they're, they're better than anybody. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. Well, uh, I think, I think, uh, I think they better brace themselves, my friend. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think we've, uh, we've deepened our connection for sure with this, uh, with this podcast. So we, uh, we, we have strength in, in that connection now too. All right. Well, Matt, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on to the podcast. It was great, uh, great chatting with you. And uh, again, congratulations on, uh, on winning the 2018 uh, over 40. And I hope to, uh, you know, hopefully we get to hit a few squash balls and uh, play some golf uh, in uh, mid-July. I can't wait. I look forward to it very much. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. And- well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, a trip down memory lane for me, talking about those old, uh, the old days uh, playing uh, his dad in tournaments and uh, traveling with his with his mom and dad up to uh, to Moncton uh, for the squash events. Uh, and Matt would have been about four or five, sitting in the back seat, uh, uh, just hanging and enjoying the squash. And that's where it all started for him. And congrats, he's really, uh, really become one of the top players in the country as is evidenced by his two recent uh, national titles uh, so thanks so much Matt looking forward to uh, having a hit with you uh, this summer in a few weeks but I'm going to have to put a few extra uh, hours in on, on the court maybe a couple hundred court sprints see see if I can uh, last a few games with you I think the last time was uh, you know I didn't do too badly we had some good good matches so uh We'll see how it goes this time around. Thanks again, Matt. And uh, thanks again to everyone else. We've got some great podcasts coming up, actually. Uh, we're going to keep it, uh, I think, over the next few podcasts, if everything goes uh, accordingly. Uh, going to keep it in, within North America. So we've got a couple of uh, top players from uh, the region uh, uh, coming onto the podcast. And hopefully, with any luck, we have uh, a writer from uh, one of the, the squash publications coming on to talk about the 2017-28 campaign and what li- campaign and what lies ahead uh, over the next year or so uh, now that the season is over. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully that comes uh, to fruition in um, in a few weeks or so. And, of course, uh, following up on this uh, trip down memory lane for uh, this Nova Scotia-related squash podcast, uh, as I mentioned, and I think I've mentioned it a few times, I'm really excited about getting the boys from uh, Squash Newfoundland uh, onto the podcast uh, they they seem a little bit busy, but uh, th- we've been in discussions, and we I think we've assembled the right crew, and so that should happen very soon. And that will that you don't want to miss that one. A bit of history, uh, squash, Newfoundland history there, which is uh, very deep and very uh, a very different cast of characters in uh, in the way they approach the game, and some excellent players coming out of uh, Newfoundland as well. Uh, over the years okay so anyways everyone uh that's what we have to look forward to over the next uh, month or so so i'm excited and i hope you are too keep on listening thanks so much and have a great day goodbye now